Right. So, before we begin then, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the Exalted One, the Most Magnificent One, the One and Only One, He who is most unique in all world systems, the unparalleled, unequaled. Teacher of teachers, Deva of Devas, Brahma of Brahmas, and the man who has gone beyond beyond what anyone and everyone has ever managed to reach. You know, we speak of none other than the Supreme Buddha. Let us pay homage to him and commence today's sermon. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Life is the best place to be for you to check yourself. We mustn't seek any other. After all, if the Dhamma can also be called lessons for life, then there is no better arena in which to test ourselves. When we go through life, we are always in the presence of a teacher, we are always in the presence of a scientist, a scientist who is always experimenting with us. So you are the subject of that experiment. Just imagine for a second that a scientist, someone wanted to test the validity of the Dhamma, how true the Dhamma really is, the efficacy of the Dhamma, the effectiveness of the Dhamma. Does it really work? Now, any good scientist would have to do, use a scientific method, an experiment, to draw their conclusions, wouldn't they? Now, where do you think that lab is? What do you call it? Life. Absolutely. Who do you think the scientist is? Vivaka. Absolutely. The scientist is the Vipaka. Some choose to call it God. They say God has a plan for each and every one of us. Indeed. There is a plan for each and every one of us. It's also called a karmic strand. That is a plan for each and every one of us. 
These are the very vipakas that were once generated by ourselves. So we are the creators of that God. Now you're beginning to see the profoundness of expressions, expressions such as your past determines your present and your present will go on to determine your future. You can decide who you want to be. Make of yourself what you may. All of these are sayings that we have become so familiar with and we use them day to day. But once you realize, once you are indoctrinated with the right view in terms of cause and effect, karma and vipaka, it all begins to make sense much better and much more than it once did. Because back then you perhaps took it because it kind of made sense. And it seemed like the right way to go about it. You ought to be responsible for your own actions. It's not fair if someone else was, right? So people who like to take things into their own hands. Have you heard of stoicism? It's a philosophy. They believe that they can choose their destiny. And in some aspects, it's, its practices seem quite similar to Buddhism. But don't let that fool you. Unless the teaching comes from the great master, it cannot be one that frees you and liberates you from sansara. But they have some good principles. So I'm not encouraging you to go and look it up necessarily. I was just saying, do you know it? If you don't, then it's okay. I wonder how many of you went last week and downloaded the series of, uh, what was it? Breaking Bad. I asked you, do you, have you seen it? Most people gave me a blank face. Oh, it's Star Trek. The more mature in the audience among us will have seen it, watched it, enjoyed it, found that as entertainment. But the more, the younger among you will probably not have, you know, it was before your day, before your heyday. So anyhow, I was talking about the scientist. Vipaka is the scientist. You are the subject of the experiment. Life is the lab. So Vipaka, the scientist, is experimenting on you. The experiment is intended to either prove or disprove a hypothesis. What do you think that hypothesis might be? The Dhamma is effective. The Dhamma is true. The Dhamma works. 
Dhamma works. That is the hypothesis of this experiment. How do you feel about being subject to that experiment? Are you hesitant? Do you want to think twice about it? Do you feel that, uh, I don't know, only you can answer this question. Do you feel that you might, you do justice? Are you like a flower? That even when crushed, leaves fragrance in the hand of he who crushes it. That would be a nice way to live, wouldn't it? So even if someone comes and crushes a flower and then they smell their hand, what does it smell like? Fragrant. And Aryan is someone like that. That would be a good experiment for someone to come and beat you up and see what they can get out of you. Remember we discussed this last week? You want to be the what kind of guy to mess with? The right kind of guy. Hey, you want to mess with me? Come on then. I'm the right kind of guy to mess with. You're messing with the right guy. You want to be able to say that. Can you say that? This is the experiment. And day in, day out, all day, all night long, you will be subject to this experiment. The Dhamma has to win. If you are doing justice to the Dhamma, then allow yourself to be subject to this experiment. Allow the scientist to test you inside, outside, upside down, outside in, inside out, left, right, center. Turn you, twist you, prod you, probe you, break you, fix you, put you back together, tear you down into pieces. Let the scientist do whatever the heck he wants, he wishes. You must always be able to prove the hypothesis. That is, the Dhamma works. Dhamma works. Teachings of the Buddha are to help you be like that, to be resilient in the face of life. If not for that, the Dhamma is nothing. We talked about the Dharma Chakra in last week's talk. Are you someone who wields it? You know, the Dhamma is a good tool, but a tool on its own is useless to someone who has no skill on how to use it, of how to use it. So you must be skilled to use the tool of Dhamma, because the Dhamma is always there, right? It's prevalent. Before you understood the Dhamma, wasn't the Dhamma around? It was. Before the Buddha, wasn't the Dhamma around? It was. The Dhamma is nothing but the truth. The Dhamma is the truth. See, the thing is this, right? Most people think, and I think this will help answer some of some people's questions about whether Buddhism is a religion. It's a bit like saying something like this. 
you know, today we have the sciences, physics, chemistry, biology. Hmm? Imagine in two and a half thousand years time, people refer to physics as religion. Just imagine that. Imagine in two and a half thousand years time, people refer to chemistry as religion. And they refer to bioscience as religion. What do you think about that? Call it what you may, a religion, a philosophy, a teaching, an instruction. What is it after all? It's the truth. That's all it is. Physics will teach you why when you drop this, when you let go of this, this falls. You can call it religion if you want. Hmm? Yeah, and say, for instance, that's called a, a physianity. Hmm? Like Christianity. Physianity. Hmm? So when I ask you, what is your religion? You say, I'm a physianicist. Or I'm a physician. I say, what, do you, what does your teacher teach you? Well, my teacher teaches me that when you let go of this, it drops like that. That is my religion. Okay. I mean, that is not your, it is not your teacher who discovered that. It was always there. He didn't invent that. It was always there. So to be fair, your teacher can't take credit for it because it was always there. Your teacher might have helped you learn it, understand it, how it all works. If you want to call yourself a, a physianitist, whatever, then you can call yourself whatever you wish, but ultimately you're just saying, I know the truth about this world. Now the same thing happened, you know, over the last two and a half thousand years. You know, you, you think I'm just giving you a, a novel, uh, you know, a few pages out of a novel or, a, you know, a, a few pages out of Isaac Asimov's uh, stories. No, actually, this happened. At one point, there was a scientist who came and taught how things worked. Today, people say, that is my religion. <laughs> One fine day, a scientist came and taught us how the mind works. He taught us how suffering works. This is simple science. What are the causes and the effects of suffering? What are the causes and the effects of agitation, anxiety and nervousness, stress, vexation? He taught us the science of happiness. I am certain that the Buddha never wished for his teachings to be referred to as a religion. Because religion has a lot of connotation. It seems like something you have to belong to, doesn't it? That's why you, you know, it feels like a, a factor that people can use to segregate themselves. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hindu. As much as religions talk about unity, harmony, togetherness, 
ultimately the downside of all of that is today religion is used to separate now really true buddhist philosophy cannot be an instrument that is used to separate because what does buddhism teach us about <laughs> exactly that everything is inseparable in fact the, the moment you say everything you've already separated so that's why buddhist philosophy is like no other it is not a religion so when you call yourself a buddhist you must think about this you know when i say i'm a buddhist am i actually going completely against what buddhist philosophy is about this is nothing but the truth today i wish to explain to you the truth i all i'm trying to explain to you is what's really going on this is not what someone said or someone wishes for us to believe someone wishes for us to have faith in it's nothing like that no one's going to be angry with you or upset with you or going to curse you or going to punish you hmm or going to damn you because you don't subscribe to these ideas you know you don't believe in physics who's going to have an issue with that is are you going to be punished because you don't believe in physics you know there are rules and regulations and uh, you know there are laws uh, right and statute and if you don't adhere to them then you'll be punished but if you don't adhere to physics no one's going to punish you you punish yourself that you can think if i jump from the top of that tree nothing's going to happen yeah you can think that you can think if i you know use this sharp blade and press it against my arm with all the force that i can muster nothing's going to happen no one's going to punish you for that because you know no sin should be punished twice did you get that <laughs> you should only be punished once right that's why in you know you know in the way we do things here we don't punish people at our monastery we have students we have teachers and we have punishers huh <laughs> believe me we have students we have teachers and we have punishers hmm what if i said we have students we have teachers and we have executioners no but out there they have them don't they last time i heard this they hired three people and all three of them uh, resigned they said they were fit to do the job but once they were taken to the to the glutton and uh, they said no not for me then the place was haunting merit saved them how can i say they merit saved them but some or other someone's going to have to do the job anyway i digress come back so we don't have students and teachers and punishers or we have our students and you can redefine this this 
entity or this person we call a teacher. A teacher is someone who gets in between the student and the punisher. So that you, know, you don't have to go all the way and get punished. Punished by whom? Wrong question. Yeah, exactly. Wrong question, isn't it? Punished by whom? Wrong question. Actually, if you want to say, punished by yourself. Buddhist philosophy teaches us that there's only one way to hurt yourself. Like this. You're the only one that can trigger this gun. And it's only this gun that's got the bullets to kill you. Everyone has a gun. But that gun is locked to their own fingerprints. No one else can trigger it. And the bullets in that gun can only penetrate this, your skull. That is what Buddhist philosophy teaches us. You are responsible for everything that happens to you. Does that make you feel weak or does that make you feel empowered? Empowered. I've seen nothing more empowering than Buddhist philosophy. That is what we're going to talk about. Our understanding of how all these things work, how it all hangs together, is the answer. Because that is the truth. In other words, that is the Buddha Dharma. So really the Buddha Dharma does not belong to the Buddha. That is why, <laughs> the other day I was thinking about this, someone showed me a documentary about how it was only you know, relatively recently they started building Buddha statues. Right? While long time ago, they didn't have statues. And I can't remember which year it was, but it was only relatively recently they actually started to you know, sculpt the Buddha. And it is said that the reason for this is because they believe that the Buddha's figure could not be sculpted by any mortal human being. He was so perfect. He was perfect in every single way that, that could, his figure could not be sculpted. I said, okay, as I, in my own mind I was, while I was watching that. But then I realized, you know, Okay, and then some. Why? Because the Buddha is not something that you can sculpt. Because it is a state. It is not a person. Now I'm glad I'm doing this sermon in English. Who knows what kind of trouble will come otherwise. Is this the Buddha? Buddha is freedom. Buddha is enlightenment. Buddha is realization. Buddha is liberation. Buddha is the truth. So how do you, how do you sculpt the truth? Okay, take out a piece of paper and a pen. Draw me a picture of the truth. Go. Draw me a picture of freedom. Draw me a picture of liberation. 
The the thing is though, yeah. And you know, I I, I really put some thought into this. I realized that you know, in the first few years, and you know, after even the Buddha's passing away, those, those first one or two centuries, people really understood what Buddhism was. They understood Buddha. That's why they didn't sculpt. Because they must have thought to themselves, if we sculpt something using clay or whatever, then our children, future generations are going to think that the Buddha was a person, as people do today. Right now, you know, today, the moment you say Buddha, or Buddhang Saranang Gachami, hmm? what comes to mind? There's this person, and we seek refuge in, in whom? In him. Now then the problem comes, well, where is he now? So I can go and ask my refuge. And then, you know, say someone's interested in Buddhism, right? Someone comes and says, Swaminas, I want to, you know, try Buddhism. Okay. Buddhang Sannangachami. Repeat after me. And he says, Buddhang Sannangachami. He says, what is, it, what is it I'm saying? I take refuge in the Buddha. Oh, okay. I take refuge in the Buddha. Sorry, Swaminas. Where is he? Then I'll have to tell him, two and a half thousand years ago, he left this world. Now what do you think that man's going to ask me after that? That's like saying, I take refuge in my dead mother. She can't cook for me, she can't clean for me, she can't wash me, she can't, you know, at least, you know, she, she, can't, she can't do anything for me. She can't even wipe the tears in my face when I'm crying. Why do I take refuge in someone who's not around? What can he do for me? What can he do to help me? Can I go and ask him if I have a problem? Can I go and speak with, to him? No. So why do I take refuge in someone who's not there? It's a very valid question. These are the ramifications of sculpting the Buddha. They didn't think this was going to happen. But back then, when they didn't choose to sculpt the Buddha, they realized that this is why we shouldn't be sculpting the Buddha. As the Buddha said, see the truth, see the Dhamma, and you have seen me. Now when you look at that, can you see the Dhamma? When you see that statue, can you see the Dhamma? No, in which case, I'm in the wrong place. And the statue is in the wrong place. In the Dharmas, and what should we sit? The statue. Right? And then I also can come and sit where you are and just we can keep staring at the statue all day for a few hours and we'll walk away having understood the Dhamma. Where is the Dhamma? What is the Dhamma again? The truth. Where is the truth? See, this is why, you know, as true students, we need to we need to take a completely different take on this, folks. I, I mean, conventional Buddhists, they have a place. Let them do what they need to do. We were all there. Right? We are all in this Parahara, in this procession towards Nibbana. Right? There's, a, there's a place and a time for everything. But where you are now, you are meritorious enough to take this up a few levels, 
to up your game, take it up a few notches. So when you take refuge in the Buddha, please, I don't want you to think that you're taking refuge in an individual. You're taking refuge in the truth because the truth shall set you free. That is what Buddhang Saranangachami is. That is why when we start the program, we remind you to take refuge in the truth. See, Buddhang Saranangachami could be replaced by, I take refuge in the truth. Hmm? And then again, Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranangachami. Second, a second time, I take refuge in the truth. What else can we take refuge in? And a third time, I take refuge in the truth. The Dhamma is the bridge to that truth. The Dhamma explains the truth. The Dhamma teaches us how to get to the truth. It is that bridge. The Sangha is how you walk that bridge. So the Buddha is the destination, the Dhamma is the bridge, and the Sangha is how you cross that bridge. It is a process. See, there's no place for anyone there. <laughs> now do you think I can take refuge for, your, for how you have improved yourselves and how you have become better and how you feel you are, you, know, you are more free and you're more relaxed and you're happier than you used to be? How can I take any credit for it? There was a destination. There's a bridge. And you have started doing what you need to do to get, cross that bridge. How can I take credit for that? The Buddha doesn't take credit for that. The Venerable Sariputta Thera doesn't take credit for that. So we are not believers. We are thinkers. We think. We analyze, we reflect, we realize. We are free thinkers. So never allow yourself to think that I'm a Buddhist in the same way that some other religious follower might think that he or she is you know, a member of another religion or a sect. Buddhism is not like that. In fact, I, just, I even don't like the word Buddhism because it, it is considered a religion. You know, it's like someone says, what is Anicca? And I say, arising and passing away. It is this much, it's a, it's a drop in the, in the vast ocean of what Anicca is. Someone suggested to me yesterday, a few days ago, it's high time that I wrote a glossary of what these terms are. What is Anicca? In a few words. What is ignorance? In a few words. And I must say, I, I confess, you know, I, I doubt in my whole life I'll be able to do something like that. How can I explain in a few words what anicca is? How can I explain in a few words what ignorance is? What dukkha is? You know, the moment you start using some of the words that are used by people, then immediately it comes with all the connotations that it already carries, right? So dukkha, I say suffering. Hmm? What immediately comes to mind? Oh, yes, yes, suffering. 
you know, pain is suffering, headaches are suffering, you know, losing your loved ones is suffering. This is the problem. And I say ignorance. Yes, yes, I know ignorance. So see, someone who's ignorant says, I know what ignorance is. <laughs> do you think, you know, do you think they're qualified to say, I know what ignorance is? An ignorant man says, I know what ignorance is. <laughs> Are they entitled to say that? No. To be fair, the only person who's entitled to say what ignorance is, is, is an arahant. An arahant can say, I know what ignorance is. The, the, the least qualification should be a sotapanna. This side of a sotapanna, how can you say, I know what ignorance is? Even as they say that, they're ignorant. Because you can't be ignorant about ignorance and not be ignorant. So, you know, this, this task that someone asked me to do, uh, it's mind-boggling. I, 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 can't, I can't even begin to imagine how I could write a glossary of words that, that we have to use in the Dhamma. So I said, you know, if someone asks me what is Anicca, I say, you know, come along for a few weeks and I'll try and help you understand. What is ignorance? Come along for about six years and I'll help you understand. Huh? What is Nibbana? You come forever and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll try and help you understand. It's like teaching a fish that's never seen land, what land is like. You know that flat thing? Yeah, like a, a tortoise walks up to land, comes back to the water and says, Oh, Mr. Fish, guess where I've been today? He says, where? Among the corals? No, no, no. The far deep ocean? No, no. It was at the submarine that, you know, had, had gone down. No, no, not there. We've all been there. A different place. Where? Land. You are? Land. Say that again. Land. What's that? That flat thing. That, with, you know, those trees. The what? The flat thing with the things that stick up like that. What are you talking about? You bang your head on something. <laughs> it happens, people, you know, when they live for a hundred years, these things can happen. Yeah. Yeah. People start going crazy. <laughs> so the fish says this to the tortoise. You're going nuts, my friend. Fair. Fair enough. Because how is a tortoise ever going to be able to teach a fish what land is? It's a completely different paradigm. Different place altogether, nothing like he's ever seen. Then you might say, you know, it's like this, you know, that place at the bottom, but without all this water. It's like that, but without the water. Oh, so you can float on it. No, no, it doesn't work like that. What do you mean it doesn't work like that? <laughs> you can walk on it. That's what you can do. Walk on it? How do you walk? What is walk? It's things that people do on land. Talk about something else. Not interested. It's a bit like that. Actually, it's very much like that. 
what a teacher can do is try and take you to that place that you've never seen before, you've never been before. But they can only guide you. You have to get there yourself. Once you got there yourself, once you get there yourself, now you know, you go, aha, that's what you meant. Now try and go and say that to someone at sea again. When they saw it, saw what? Land. Pfft, heard that before. Get out of my face. This is what, you know, you'll have experienced this. I know you'll have experienced this. You, you know, I know you go and talk to your friends, your family, colleagues, right? And say, come, you know, there's, there's this thing called Nibban. Where you can, you know, you don't have to be attached to anything. And they'll go, why would you not want to be attached to anything? Because attachment causes suffering. What? How does attachment cause suffering? Attachment, you know, my daughter, my son, my husband, my wife, you know, these people, they give me suffering. Happiness, these are, this is my... These are my sources of happiness. They're my fountains of happiness. What do you mean attachment causes suffering? Then try and explain to them, you know, you feel that you exist, right? Huh? That's an illusion. <laughs> huh? Try explaining that to someone. You don't exist. Then you know what they're going to do? I don't know. From where I'm standing, it looks like I exist very much. <laughs> different paradigm. Completely different dimension. That's why I say, you know, you have your merits to thank for you being here. That's all. That's all it is. The Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha are all things that you do unto yourself. Ah, now understand it that way. The Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha are all things that you do unto yourself. Buddha is the destination, Dhamma is the bridge, Sangha is the process of crossing that bridge. I have not done anything. Right now, all I'm doing is Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. What do you think you're doing right now? Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. So there's nothing else to take refuge in. Because that is all there is, the truth. Some people understand the truth, some people don't understand the truth. Those who understand the truth, those who realize the truth, live happy. Those who don't understand the truth, suffer. Simple as. So, let me try and explain this to you. So that you can understand the truth. So that you can do Buddha. Or you can be Buddha. Now again, at the moment I say you can be Buddha, some people think, Swami Nasa, how can I ever be Buddha? You know, that takes, you know, so many yawns of sacrifice and commitment and dedication, right? And I have to receive the Niyatavivarana from the, the, another Buddha, 28 or so other Buddhas. I haven't even start, started thinking about something like that. How can I be Buddha? That's what I'm saying. It's, we are not talking about a person. We are not talking about an individual. We are talking about a state. A state of mind. Buddha is a state of mind. Any mind that achieves that state is a Buddha. It's a state of mind. It's like hot. Hmm? When you say something's hot, can you touch hot? 
You can touch water, but you can't touch hot, can you? Because what is hot? It's a state. It's a state that the substance can be in. Now, Buddha is the same. Buddha is like that. I'm trying to give this analogy so that people can understand. And, you know, I'm not necessarily targeting just those of you who are here. Sometimes some of these are more for people who are on the other side of the ocean. It's like hot. It's like cold. It's like soft. Can you touch soft? No, but you feel softness, don't you? Hmm? You can experience softness, but you can't touch soft. You can touch an object and you say, that's soft. So when you say, that's soft, do you mean you've just touched soft? Now this water here, it's, it's, it's warm, right? When I put my finger in it, I can feel the warmth. Have I just touched warm? What did I do? I touched the water. But the water is in a state and that state is warm. Now likewise, you can look at this sculpture, you can look at a person. But remember, when you say that is the Buddha, it's not the person that you're looking at. Who is a Buddha? Because the Buddha is not a who. The Buddha is a what? It's a state of mind. A Buddha mind. So you need to achieve a Buddha mind. Whose is you? The mind again. The mind should achieve a state, so it's like the water. The water can achieve a state of being hot. How? You heat it. It was cold before, then we heated it and now it's hot. Same way, there's a mind. That mind maybe it has defilements, cankers, mental irritants, ignorance and attachment. What we are doing is cooling it down, if you want to use that, or heating it up, if you want to use this, whichever way you want to look at it. The end result should be different state. That is what Buddha is. So what is that truth? Remember, Buddhist teaching is for nothing other than achieving happiness. All of this is a process. Now we talked about the four stages, the four steps, like a couple of weeks ago. I asked you to apply it. Yeah? The four steps when you have this, have a problem, how to, you know, walk yourself out of that problem. What was the first thing to do? What was the first step of that process? Exactly, yeah. You need a trigger, right? Come back to your senses. That is what we use the piritnul for. Come back to your senses. And the second thing to do was? Hmm? It's, it's not I. It's not, this is not me. Meaning, anything can be changed. Meaning, it's a state. Right? Whatever state of mind you're in, it's a state of mind. Can you run that in your head a few times? Right? Whatever state of mind you're in, it's only a state of mind. Meaning, states can change. Right? So, you, there'll be times where you're not happy about something. Please remember that it's simply a state of mind. 
meaning it can be changed it can be altered whatever the environment is right now what are the whatever the factors are the concomitant factors are right now that is what determines the state of mind that state can change good news or bad news best news ever that's why i said you know i think you'll remember one day i came and talked to you about cause and effect you know i said we should throw a party <laughs> because if everything is cause and effect you know wh- where does the power back go back to the power comes back to us when you know everything is cause and effect then you are empowered if you have to please someone else to get what you want now the power goes back out of you it goes to somebody else someone else either a person or a or a non-living thing but when it's cause and effect the power comes back to you because all you have to do is understand the causes and then whichever cause you're not in favor of change it and the effect and the result will change itself so that was the second thing this is simply a state of mind this is not i thirdly body or mind is this body is it a physical problem or is it a mental problem if it's a problem with the body what do we do we treat that problem in the most suitable manner right that is what we have the four requisites for but there's a right way to go about it and there's a wrong way to go about it we choose the right way to go about it and then lastly yes once we've determined that this is a mental problem now we tell the mind mind your own business these are the four steps these are the four steps that i use and it works works all the time it works only when i use it surprise surprise you know i have a pair of scissors the funny thing about it is it only cuts when i use it it's really weird it's a bit like this microphone you see it only works when i use it now people on the phone and the camera they can't hear a word i'm saying so i said that again when i switched that off you couldn't hear a word i said funny thing these things it only use works when i use it hmm that's why people say use it huh only works <laughs> use it. duh so the dhamma only works when you use it that's why i said the dhamma is a tool but you need to be skilled without skill it matters not whether you have the best tool in the whole wide world is useless these are lessons in how to be skilled in the use of dhamma this is what this is this is what this class is about skills in how to use the dhamma because i am not sharpening the dhamma it's as sharp as it can be all i'm teaching you and sharing with you is how to be skilled in the use of dhamma which tool do you use at which time is this a tool that you use to poke or is it a tool that you use to cut 
Or is it a tool that you use to pull? Or is it a lasso that you throw and then tug? Huh? So we need to be skilled in the use of these tools. So those four steps. Finally, when the problem is down to the mind, you mind your own business. Now, how do we mind our own business? Because this is the process that if we understand, we can be free of suffering. If we don't understand, then suffering happens. Because suffering is a result of causes. Good news or bad news? Good news. Therefore, if you suffer, whose choice is that? Yours. Who's responsible for that? Yours. So, is it fair? Is it posh for you to say, he made me angry? Akkochimang? Avadimang? Ajanimang? Is it fair? Are they reasonable? No. So if you find yourself ever saying, he made me really, he made me go nuts, he made me angry, he made me go mad. Only the last word of that sentence is right. Everything else makes no sense. <laughs> Isn't that so? Yes. You are mad. That's why when you do something, you give someone else credit for it. See, I, I find people very unfair. You know, imagine an artist. Okay. He does his most, he, he does his best piece of work. Right? He does the most wonderful picture, like I do sometimes on the whiteboard. Mm, I still remember. Right? The, the, the most wonderful picture. Right? And then someone says, hmm. Someone else walks up and says, hello everyone, do you like what I've done here? How do you think an artist is going to feel? Hey, that was my work. Right? How come you can take credit for something that I've done? Yeah? Or oh, say, you know, if you're a housewife and you cook something really nice, right? A nice curry or something. You, you, you took all the trouble, read all the recipe books and, you know, it was, you, have, you had to cook it for six hours, right? And now it's ready, right? And now you want to share it with a few people to, to show your culinary skills. Huh? And someone comes up and says, oh, say your sister. Okay, sister-in-law. You've got to make it realistic, right? Otherwise, you know, it doesn't resonate. Right? Sister-in-law. She comes and she serves herself a bit of this. And then she takes it to the people that you were just going to impress. And, and instead of giving you any credit for what you've done, she says, you know, we made this. I would like to offer some of this to you. So she's not lying. She says, I would like to offer, I would like to offer some of this to you. Please try it and see, tell me what you think. So she offers it to your guests and they try and go, oh my God, what's this? This is ambrosia. How did you do it? And she goes, well, well. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How does that make you feel? You don't want other people taking credit for your work. You know, I know you're not like that. But I'm saying, you know, generally speaking, that's what people are. You know, when they've done, done something, they don't like other people taking credit for it. That's why when you quote something, you've got to, you know, cite it. Right? You've done any written work, you know, if your thesis or your dissertations or whatever, university, every time you quote something, you have to 
or use someone else's work, you have to cite it. References, bibliography, whatever. Because people don't like you using stuff that belongs to them without crediting them. And sometimes, you know, on YouTube, like when we make these videos and put them on, on YouTube for people to watch and understand the Dhamma, sometimes, you know, they, uh, the, the, the rightful owners of that content come back and say, how, you know, how did you use that without my permission? I'm oh, sorry, sorry, we really don't know. We just found it on the internet. Really sorry. Right? So they say, okay, use it, but please, in your description, please put in there that you took it from us. So people want to be given due credit for what they have produced. Now, in the same way, need I say more? Huh? In the same way, why do you give someone else credit when you become angry? I ask you, why do you give someone else credit when you become angry? It's your doing. Well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. You know, becoming angry is no easy task. Really. Even Arahants are unable to do it. <laughs> These people who are well trained, huh? who are experts in how the mind works, even they can't manage to do it. So when you become angry, should you be passing on that credit to someone else? No. You're doing something even the Buddha can't. How about that? Huh? He's unequal, right? So are you. When you feel greedy about something, hmm? it's like, you know, sometimes you serve something for yourself and someone else. When you're by the fridge, you'll say, this is for me and the other person. But there are a few steps you have to take from the fridge to the living room. And those few steps can make a world of a difference, can't they? Huh? That journey from the fridge to the living room can completely change the destination of that pudding. You know the destination of that pudding? Right? Half of that was meant to go down this path. The other half was meant to go down another path. But that destination can change in a few steps from the fridge to the living room. Because you initially thought that this was going to be half for me, half for them. But by the time you got there, there's not enough for two people here. Surely. Tell me this doesn't happen at home. Or a bar of chocolate. Hmm? You buy it. I, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've lived. Did you know that? For the last 30 something years, guess what I've been doing? Living. Right? So I've been where you are. Huh? And I've been where you will be, some of you. Right? So I remember those days where I used to go to the shop. Mother used to say, you know, get these things and if there's any money left, you can buy yourself a treat. So I, you know, as, a, as any good brother would do, hmm? get yourself a bar of chocolate and then who's it for? Me and my sister, my brother. Yeah. But <clears throat> the problem is, there's a distance between the shop and home. 
that that road can do all sorts of weird things to the mind you know all the turns that you take it can completely corrupt you i tell you do, do you have that road where you live yes i couldn't put it better myself you ever said it makes the chocolate bar look smaller than it than it did by the shop now when you at the shop it look oh i won't be able to manage this all by myself by the time you get home you know especially when you know when you are at the front gate it's like where's that chocolate is it in my hand <laughs> i can't even see it quite literally because along the way it got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and it's you know how we have but we still keep the packing don't we because it makes us feel good so we we don't we don't fold the packing we keep it you know in its tip top original condition so that although half of it is gone it still looks like it's the full bar so when you feel greedy when you feel like i need that all for myself i'm not in the mood for sharing this is for me right don't give someone else credit for that you're doing something even a buddha can't do that's the point when you feel you desire something when you feel you you are you are lustful about something you're doing something even an arahant can't do take credit for it and as i said you know right at the beginning the the worst thing here is especially when someone makes you angry i talk a lot about that in our sermons people making you angry because this is a very common problem that people have getting angry and giving other people credit for it even the slightest thing like you're getting ready for work tying your shoelaces and the shoelace snaps huh or say you're looking for your you put on one shoe the other shoe is gone missing and you look around where's the other shoe Where's my shoe? Now you speak to the wind. Because it's the same wind that blows in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, you know, I I love I love my audience because I don't have to spell things out. Right? I can just give you a, just one bit. I say A and you understood until Z. Amazing. Brilliant audience you have. Right? So, you know, it's the same wind that blows in the kitchen. Where's my shoe? I don't know. Ask the dog. So you go looking for the dog, and unfortunately, the dog thinks that it's a toy. <laughs> Did I tell you I've lived? Yeah. So now, you give your dog credit for your action, for for what you have managed to achieve. You know, come on, come on. Your dog is incapable. of such achievements your anger please don't give your dog credit for that now you're angry because you the, the dog has eaten your shoe it's like you know some of our young anagarikas they say where's your homework we ask them hmm? the dog ate my homework so i mean answer 
we get that sometimes. They know that we know that they know, and we know that as well, right? So, you know, they're just they're just playing around. But how many times have you done that? Right? Give someone else credit for what's going on inside. You create it. You are the architect. You make it. You manufacture it. Take ownership of that. But do remember that this is not I. This is not me. This can change. If you don't like it, you can change it. We are not fatalists. We don't believe that what's happened has happened and has happened and cannot be changed because that does not sit with cause and effect. All we have to do is understand how this mind works, the processes that run within the mind. So, you know that this is a process, right? All of this is a process. That's where we started this conversation. Not today, I mean a few weeks back when, we, when I distilled it down to those four steps. This is a process. This body is a process. And the body processes you study at school, you study at college, how all the systems work and how it all hangs together and helps the body function, right? The mind is also a process. Now, I need, you know, these will come across as words to you, but I need you to see beyond these words. That seeing beyond these words, unfortunately, I can't do on your behalf. But even that, I can only encourage you to do through these words. This is the problem. I'm trying to get you to see something beyond these words, but all I have to give you are words. That's where I'm, I'm stuck. Okay, unlike anything else, I'm trying to share with you something abstract, but I only have words to express it. But what you need to see is something beyond these words. You are very fortunate in that you get to listen to this in other words, in a different language, and that still makes sense to you. But especially to our online listeners, what I'm saying is, you know, don't stick to the words. There's meaning behind these words. That's why sometimes to explain the same thing, I use lots of different words. I have to sometimes use, you know, the entire thesaurus to, to try and explain, you know, some of these concepts. And sometimes even then I'm not satisfied because exactly what I wanted to give has, I don't feel like I've given it. Because what I'm trying to give you is something that goes beyond words. Okay? The mental process, there is a mental process that is responsible for suffering that happens in the mind. The most basic kind of suffering there is, is the most basic, the most primitive wanting that the mind has. We talked about separation. So now we are getting into deeper waters. We've talked about separation. I mentioned the other day that this world comprises lots of different things. Now, even if you look around this room, you know, look at these, there are cushions, the board, everything is separate from one another, right? That's why you can identify them as individual entities. This is a whiteboard. 
even the whiteboard is still separate. You know, there are parts that make this up. You know, there are the hinges up there, then there's the stand, there's, there are the knobs, there are the legs, there are the bushes, there's this, this plastic stuff, right? This is a pen, which is separate to the board. It's got the nib, it's got the cap, it's got the, the body, it's got the ink inside, it's got the writing, the text, all this. You know, letters, each letter is separate to the other letter. These are all creations of a mind that wanted to separate. Would you believe me that if I told you <clears throat> you can see the whiteboard? Right now it's an empty canvas. Hmm? You know, when you see this whiteboard, now, try and understand what I'm trying to tell you. Not just what I'm telling you, try and understand what I'm trying to get across to you, okay? Because this is difficult, but I'll try. And you must try as well. This board, this whiteboard, would you believe me if I told you that the sight of this itself is pleasurable? Right, let's start there. The sight of this is pleasurable. You are right now able to identify this as a whiteboard. If I were to take this away, then you wouldn't identify a whiteboard. Right? You are able to identify this as a whiteboard. All in, all in agreement, you are able to identify this as a whiteboard. Even if you didn't know what it was called. Right? all understand? Yes? I'm giving, trying to give it to you as simply as I possibly can, right? So you can all come along. Make sense, though? Yes? Good. So you can all understand that this is a whiteboard. The sight of it itself is pleasurable. Shall I give you a little bit more pleasure? Ready for it? This is more pleasurable than the side before. Now think it through. I want you to think. Okay, put on your thinking hats and start thinking. What is Swami Nuhasa trying to say here? He just drew a line on the whiteboard and he said, this is more pleasurable than before he drew the line. What's this? How does that make sense? <clears throat> Previously, there was only a whiteboard. You could tell that there was a whiteboard. You can distinguish a whiteboard or the presence of a whiteboard from the absence of a whiteboard. Fair enough? You can distinguish the presence of a whiteboard from the absence of it. So there was one thing that was separate about this room, with and without a whiteboard. What this pen has enabled me to do is to create even more separation in your world. Wonderful things these, aren't they? As I say, the pen is mightier than the sword.
what I've done here is I've created more separation in your world. What is your world? Exactly. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, thoughts, right? And everything they combine with the senses to manifest. That is your world. That is your reality. That is what you live in. You don't know any other reality, do you? Like a fish that does not understand land because it's never seen it. The world for the fish is the ocean. And only the, the ocean, only the waters that it has chartered, anything beyond that is not part of its world. <clears throat> so that is more pleasurable. Why? Because it gives you, it introduces, it introduced more separation into your world. Right, do you want me to give you a bit more pleasure? Shall I give you a little bit more pleasure? Ready? See, parents, you don't have to take your children to you know, those theme parks. Huh? When your child says, I'm bored. Hmm? Long weekend, poor day, I'm bored. Daddy, let's do something. You want, you want pleasure, Buddha? You want pleasure? Come, come. All you have to invest is in a whiteboard. It doesn't even need to be this big. <laughs> and draw a line and say, see, pleasurable, not enough, draw another line. How many lines can you draw on this board? An infinite number of lines you can draw on this board. So you can, this is a source of what pleasure? Infinite pleasure. Now I'm talking to you about something that is, that is quite profound, okay? So I want you to hang in there, <clears throat> not hang yourself. Hang in there and stay awake, right? This is the, you're not familiar with these concepts, right? So it'll, it'll take, it'll, you'll need some help, but that's what I'm trying to do. So hang in there, try and apply what I'm teaching you. Try and see through what I'm trying to teach you here. Why do you think that was more pleasurable? These two lines, why do you think it was more pleasurable than the previous state? What is more here? Separation. More separation. More separation. So you can keep on giving yourself pleasure. See? Honestly, tell me, does that not look better than this? Honestly? Hmm? Yes. If you were to decorate, if you needed to decorate something, maybe a room or, you know, do some decoration somewhere, like, like they do here. I mean, look at this. You see the decoration behind me? Do you know the number one reason why this looks pleasant, lovely, attractive to you? Because of the separation. Because there's lots of things going on behind me. There's lots going on. This is more pleasurable than this. And I'm, I'm taking this now, you know, this is nanotechnology. Okay? We are going deep down to, you know, the most primitive need for this mind 
which is separation. Everything else sprouts from it. The mind so desires to experience this separation that it makes itself think that it's a separate entity, a separate individual. Just look at that word, individual. Yeah, not divided. Individual. In other words, you know, you've divided, you have divided, right? You have divided. Individual. You are an individual. You are a separate individual. If you look at, I, 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 I'm, you know, this is just something that came to mind. I think if you go and look up the uh, etymology of that word, I, I won't be surprised if it says something about, you know, a, a divisible entity from, you know, one another. That's what, that's, that's probably where individual comes from. Someone can do the homework. This is more pleasurable than this. Because there's more stuff going on with that. There's more happening with it. You know, sometimes you <clears throat> you may have gone to art galleries and artists, as wonderful as they are, sometimes, you know, we fail to see. I, I don't personally have the artistic eye. You know that, right? I, I, <laughs> it's not just the eye I don't have. I don't have that nerve or that DNA. I don't have the DNA, the, art, the artist DNA. I, sometimes, you know, Art is simply a few wavy lines. Sometimes it's a few lines that crisscross. Because in there, there is an element of separation. Okay, here's another one. You're fortunate, the examples keep flowing to my mind. Music. What is music? In one word, <laughs> Separate, well, not in one word, a few words. Separation of sound. You tell me what is more pleasurable. This. Or. That. How about. That is also not there, yeah? I used to be a drummer, though. <laughs> yeah, that, so when you have multiple instruments playing together, you have something called harmony. You find that pleasurable. You know, sometimes how, how songs start, right? They start off with one instrument, and after a while you get maybe a cymbal, Right? And then after that, you get the guitar, the piano, right? and the instruments start joining the ensemble. And that sounds pleasurable. That, that variation, why do people like variation? They say, what, is, what do they say is the spice of life? Variety. Variety is the spice of life. Means, what, is, what, do, what do you mean by spice of life? You know, when does a, when does a curry you know, really give its punch? It's flavor, huh? when it's got a bit of spice, right? Yeah, so when does life give its punch, give its flavor? When it's got variety. Now, you know, we know that we are talking about how the mind perceives these things. 
When someone says variety is the spice of life, what they're talking about is how the mind experiences life, right? Who else experiences or what else experiences? The only thing that exists to experience is the mind. This is the experience, equipment for experiencing, is the mind. Sight, sound, smell, taste and touch, these things exist in the outside world. Experience begins when sight meets eye. Not that eye, this eye. When sight meets eye and a thought is born, the mind comes into being, that's when experience begins. We can't talk about experience without the mind. How many years of experience have you had teaching? Someone will ask you. What, is, what, are, they, what are they really saying? You know, this whiteboard, would you come up and say, how many years of experience do you have teaching? Would you ask a whiteboard that? No, but it's been here for every lesson. Because it hasn't experienced it. Whereas a teacher, in other words, a mind that operates within a body will have experienced. Experience is, after all, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body coming into contact with sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Because in that union, something amazing comes into being. What is that? That is the mind. The instrument of experience. That is the instrument of experience. So think about music. The example we just talked about a moment ago. Music is pleasurable when there are varying tones. When someone sings, you know, like what do you call them? These auditions that they have on television, right? This one's got talent, that one's got talent. Ingri has got talent, right? You're going to do one shortly. Sri Lanka's got talent. Jetanaram hmm? Vihar has got talent. Huh? So, you know, on those, on those shows, right, you know, say someone comes and they, they sing, they start singing in a, in a monotonous tone. And then all of a sudden, like the judges are surprised. They are awestruck. Right? All of a sudden, they, you know, they say, maybe it's a young child. And they sing really high-pitched tones. And they introduce variety. Right? The fluctuation of their voice. And now the, 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 the judges look upon them like, Oh my God, this child can sing. Amazing. Right? What do you really, what is that, what is that experience there? Separation. <clears throat> that is separation. If you were to play a single note, you know, if you have a piano at home or a, you know, um, an, an organ or something, you know, go and play a single note on the on the on the organ and see how that sounds, and then you know, play that with another one. You know, that's why when you change codes, right? Music sounds better because of that variety, because of that separation. It's really. You're, you're experiencing pleasure on two levels here, folks. It's like a double-story building. There's the ground floor and there's the top floor. I don't know where these examples are coming from, but you're really fortunate to receive them. So I really hope you're, you've got all ears and you're paying attention to this. And thank you for being here because I get to listen to this sermon. No, honestly, thank you. This is like a double-story building. Because on the ground floor, there is the most primitive need that this mind has. That is 
separation. On the top floor, you have the various other things like, you know, chocolate, the things that we've spoken about in the past, cake, right, which you hear about every day when you come to this monastery. Huh? Guru Swami Nwan says sermons, all he talks about is cake, right? Cake and, you know, all, all these things. Right? These, these are all what? These are all that, that, that top floor. The ground floor is that most primitive need for separation. <clears throat> so the top floor can only stand on the ground floor. That top floor is really used to experience the bottom floor, the ground floor. I'm trying to turn these into words as I speak, okay? So you, you must forgive me if, if, if I feel like I'm stumbling or you know, trying to, I'm stammering, I'm, I'm trying to get the right words out so I can really express what I really want to say. So bear with me. All these things you will see around you, they're manifestations. They're manifestations of a mind that wishes to separate. So when we talk about things that you like to do, things that you like to eat, things that you like to see, that's the top floor. That's the top floor. But those things are manifestations of the bottom floor. They're all separate. They were meant to be. They were designed to be. They were brought into this world as separate things so that that bottom floor, that ground floor could be satisfied. What is his ground floor? The need, the urge to, se to, to separate. <clears throat> that is what the mind always wanted, right from the start. Because before anything and everything came, there was one thing that came at the very beginning. That was this sense of self. Which is a sense that you are separate from everything else. And now, to prove that point, to further that point, to really experience that point, the, this entire universe has been invented by the mind. We talked about music. Take some, another example, very familiar example, food. Hmm? Maybe now you'll be, most of you may be okay with this, but back then, right? What, when would you say you've got a sumptuous meal? You know, it's when all you have on your table is rice and one curry. Or, you know, when you have lots of different curries. Think about rice itself. Huh? First, they had white rice. You know where I'm going with this, right? right? Then they had yellow rice. White rice, yellow rice looks better when it's sat next to white rice, doesn't it? <laughs> So, white rice on its own, yellow rice on its own. Now, what about yellow rice next to white rice? Don't you feel that, you know, say you're in the queue. <laughs> okay, you're in the queue, plate in hand, right? And there are a few people standing in front of you, right? And uh, you're hearing, um, you know, from the, from the kitchen, that's all the yellow rice we have, I'm afraid. <laughs> and you hear that from the kitchen. Now, what do you do? Oh dear. Huh? Only a few more spoonfuls left. 
right? There are four spoonfuls left, right? And there are four people in front of you in the queue. There's white rice on the other side, and there's yellow rice, right? Or oh, saffron rice, some of you do that. And then you're standing here, four people in front of you, and looks about four spoonfuls. Now tell me, don't you, don't you start making wishes? <clears throat> Wishful thinking. These people, you've never seen them in your life before. You've never wished anything upon them. But now you start, I wish. <laughs> now, every time someone steps forward, Which way is he going? Which way is he going? And you know, you see, they they go. So the first person they walks up to the white rice. Ooh, okay. <laughs> he takes two spoonfuls of that, and then he turns to the yellow rice. Oh, like a balloon that loses its air. <laughs> you feel deflated. Uh, and then the second person walks up. He's looking this way, he's looking that way. Mm, he thinks to himself, which one? And then you're thinking, make your mind up already. You're vexing me. <clears throat> it's not because he's keeping you. It's because he's keeping you from the yellow rice. The yellow rice, rice looks so much better when it's sat next to the white rice. Take away the white rice and it's just yellow rice. Now it's just, it's just, it's just yellow rice. What came after yellow rice? Ah, yes. You know, they could have just kept the meat separate and the rice separate, right? Okay, you'll tell me, but it tastes better, Swami Nuhansar, as a biryani, you know, without cooking the meat separately and the, and the rice separately. When you cook it all together, it tastes better. What do you mean by taste better? More separation. More separation. <clears throat> Think about all the things now they add to, add to rice itself. You know, back in the day, it just used to be rice and a bit of salt. Now, how many things get added to that? Cardamom. What else do you add? Uh, what do you call it? Uh, cinnamon. Um, curry leaves. Hmm? All these things get added. Why? You want to experience that separation. You'll think that, no, it's, but it's, it's, we, we, we experience a combined taste of all of it. There is no taste bud that is sensitive to cardamom or to cinnamon. The tongue has been designed by the mind to experience separation. Yes or no? That's why you can experience sour, sweet, bitter, what else? Salt, uh, oh, and umami. Oh, that's anyone. <laughs> we talked about it once in the sermon, I think. Umami. They've uh, found a, a new sophisticated taste. Make <laughs> about blue cheese. Oh, I don't know. I think what they're saying is it's where you have, uh, you know, fats and so on, like saturated fats and so on. That's umami. Oh, 
MSG, monosodium glutamate, that, that characteristic flavor of, of MSG is your umami. Okay, anyway, this is not a lesson in, uh, you know, who's the chef? <laughs> Master chef, huh? Master chef, yes. Uh, so, separation, right? And then you have uh, fried rice. Why does a kotto look so good? Is it not mouth-watering just looking at it? Yeah. Because it's a, it's, you know, it's a mix-up of everything. You know, that's why, you know, a deviled curry looks better. Absolutely. And even just the look of it, isn't it? Just the look of it. And as you taste it, you can, because remember, your, your tongue is not sensitive to deviled cuttlefish. What it is sensitive to are those different tastes, but to different degrees. So this curry will have more sour, less bitter, you know, say 50% sour, 20% bitter, 10% uh, salty. The next uh, curry will have different uh, combinations. That's when you say, okay, you know, you want some variety. That's why even if your mother is the best cook in the whole wide world, you're eating her food every day. That doesn't float your boat. You want something different. That variety is that separation that you begin to experience. Even at that level, to be honest, at every level, because the most primitive need that the mind has is to experience this separation. Look at those curtains. Don't they look nice? Huh? What if we stretch them and you just saw, you know, a flat, uh, you know, the, without the, uh, the folds, without the folds, right? If you just saw just a plain uh, piece of cloth, would that look nice? No. So to make it look nice, what do you do? The folds. Uh, what does that introduce? Separation. You see these three candles? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> these are not just candles. These candles are different from each other. One is taller. The other one slightly shorter. The other one even shorter. What does that introduce? Separation. See? Therefore, you say, oh, nice design. What if all three were the same height? Not the same. Won't be the same. Won't be the same. You have papadam. Hmm? Now you have colored papadam. I mean, not now, I know. So, I mean, I said, now? You need to go out more often, <laughs> you'll tell me. Well, I don't get to go out. If whatever you bring, I, if you bring colored papadam, we get colored papadam. Otherwise, we just get the same old plain old papadam. Right? Colored papadam. Why colored papadam? What does that give you? Separation. <clears throat> Look at that Buddha statue. You see that the robe? Hmm? And you see those lines that have been drawn or have been sculpted? Hmm? Doesn't that look better with it? Imagine that without all that, it would just be a plain statue. Who likes a plain statue? It looks better like that, doesn't it? Big one? 
Exactly, without a texture, yeah. It introduces what that texture introduces? Separation, right? As I was saying, this looks better than this. And if I were to draw See? Looks even better. A wavy line looks better than a straight line. Generally speaking. Right? And there may some may, may disagree, but generally speaking. So that's why I said, you know, these are these are two floors of the same building. First you have to satisfy the ground floor. It is through the ground floor you now climb up, ascend it to the first floor. That first that ground floor is about this need for separation. It's what the mind has always wanted. And that is why, you know, we as human beings, we always look for factors, those characteristics that help us to separate ourselves from each other. You know, now please don't take this the wrong way, right? I, I hope you're, you're all very sensible. <clears throat> because I'm, not, I'm not talking about, I don't know, sometimes I wonder whether I should say these things or not. You know, some people who feel that they are uh, discriminated. Hmm? People who feel that they're discriminated in society. What they'll do is generally they'll get together and they'll form a group. Yeah, I don't want to give examples in case it offends someone. It'll only offend someone because they feel they're separate. Okay, so... When they feel that they're being discriminated, what they'll do is they'll get together and they'll form a separate group. In doing so, they are discriminating themselves. The very thing that they're trying to work against, you know, that is exactly what they're doing. Because other people may or may not see them differently. But what might happen is people who think that they are different from other people will say, we are being discriminated. And then they'll say, right, we need to get together and we need to identify ourselves. What's the word again? Identify ourselves as an, as an individual. We need to identify ourselves as a separate organization, as a separate power, as a separate authority, as a separate entity to the rest of them. So that we can fight for whose rights? For our rights. Yet again, separation. It's, it's in our blood. It's in our systems. It's what we've learned right from the young formative years. Right? Do you not remember the day that you learned that you were a Buddhist? You would have asked your parents, you know, they would have taught you, Putadur, this is your identity. This is your name, right? Your name separates you from others. Doesn't it? So much so that if someone mispronounces your name, you feel offended. I remember this very fondly because when I was back there in the UK, people couldn't pronounce my name. They said all sorts of things except for my name. They, the most common one was uh, Vimutki. That's what I used to be called, Vimutki. 
Uh, it wasn't Vimutki. <laughs> That's what they used to call me. So then I said, no, you know what? I, I find that uh, it was difficult. It was. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I just put a, we just laugh about it. But, you know, deep down inside, if you took a, a, a microscope, thank you. If you took a microscope and you, you really went deep down and inspected, you'd see that there would be, you know, a smooth running of the mind and all of a sudden, some other remote key. Right? So something would, you know, trouble the mind. Something would agitate it, just ever so slightly. So I didn't like it. So what did I do? I said, you know what, if you can't pronounce the whole thing, at least can you call me Vim? They were familiar with that, right? <clears throat> because they had that in their kitchen. So I, I settled for that. Call me Vim. Can you, can you say Vim? 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 Yes, thank you. Call me Vim. And that's what they used to call me. Because I just didn't like them calling me Vimutki. Because I wasn't Vimutki. And, you know, no thanks to my parents. They gave me a surname with 60 letters long. Yeah, I've got 60 letters in my, I, I used to have, in that old name of mine. Hmm? So imagine, you know, trying to pronounce that, it was a tongue twister for them. And, you know, trying to pronounce that, they would express all types of explicit, expletives. All types of, you know, swear words would come out. So I said, no, no, it's all right, leave out the soul names, call me Vim. Can you manage Vim? Three letters, Vim? Yeah, fine. Because it, it would hurt. On the inside, it would hurt me because my name was mine. It allowed me to, it, it enabled me to separate myself from everyone else. So, you know, give me my space. Hmm? Treat me with respect. <laughs> Treat me with respect as the individual that I am. The last thing you can do is call me by my name correctly. You know, it's a big deal, right? To be able to pronounce someone's name. They teach this in... Uh, Business school, right? Good customer service. You have to be, you know, take your time to study the customer's name and pronounce it properly. And it gives them a great sense of pride and joy. Sometimes, you know, you could sell absolute rubbish to your customer, but call them by their name and they'll be back here again tomorrow morning. Because in using their name, in identifying them as separate individuals. That's why, you know, that's why people give a, you know, they, they concern a lot about respect. Think about this. Now, I, again, I appeal to your intelligence and I appeal to your good nature, right? And I appeal to your maturity. Without that, all this will sound like, what's this Swaminasa talking about? He's tearing up the, the very fabric that this society is formed of. You know, good values and respect. You know, he's talking about respect one day and today he's saying respect is a nonsense. Right? That is not what I'm talking about. Should we, shouldn't we respect each other? Absolutely. We should respect even the tiniest insect. Right? So respect, that is something else. I'm talking about something completely different. I'm asking you, why is it that people give a great deal about respect? When you walk, when you walk to, the, to the supermarket right, and someone opens that door for you, hmm? how does that make you feel? Important. Important. Yeah, valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, 
that experience it fortifies your presence it reminds you that you're here it confirms that you are valid see how we seek validity from the world that we live in people don't wish to feel like an invalid people wish to feel a valid they want other people to validate them yes you're valid you're here that's why this is such a big deal in customer service you know when you when someone walks up to you what should you do if you're doing something else you know we so you see this in in parts of the world where they give real focus on customer service right i've i've seen both sides of this which is why when i first you know had this experience of you know walking up to the bank and everyone is just thronging at the uh, you know customer service i'm like what's going on here because i, I was that's not what i've learned as good customer service right if you you can't be talking to your customer and doing something else or you know talking about what you had for dinner with your colleague while the customers here is it right or wrong that's not the point here the point here is i'm trying to actually emphasize something completely different in good customer service they teach you to give 100% undivided attention to your customer yes or no those who know this know this those who don't now know it you have to give undivided attention to your customer so if you're doing something else you have to say sir please could you give me a moment while i complete this task and i'll be back to you in just a moment then the customer knows you've acknowledged them imagine you know being served you know you have to have experience what i have to to understand this right and i and i think most of you have right imagine being served like you you're at the uh, say at you're at the hotel waiting to have your you know check into your room and the receptionist is just you know is just browsing the web right checking their emails yes what can i do for you i've come here to uh, check into my room what's room number oh nice holiday this one you yeah. seen this you've been to barbados this she's talking to her colleague hmm? i don't wouldn't you like to go there sorry one second yeah it's very nice isn't it yeah it's this one yeah you know what are you going to do for your holiday this week yeah what do you want <laughs> room yeah id Hmm? Why? Yes, because they don't feel respected. What do you mean by this respect? Exactly. That's right. You don't acknowledge. You don't acknowledge. You don't acknowledge their presence. What does that mean? Why does respect feel so good? <laughs> because what does it acknowledge? Your your separation. it acknowledges your presence it it acknowledges that you are an individual and you are separate from everybody else and that you on your own deserves recognition that is what respect affirms that is what people seek so you know whenever you now this is this is a real strike a real blow to ego okay so i'm using very worldly examples here but i'm i'm you know i'm drilling into your to the deep dark nasty smelly corners of your minds 
Hmm? And it stinks down there. <laughs> Sir? Mind, big one? Yes, because the, the purpose of the mind, the mind came, remember when we talked about the five components that make up the mind? You know, this Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. Receiving, recognizing, you know, blah, 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 blah. All of this is to be able to separate. The moment I give this Rupa, you can't separate this unless you recognize it. Unless you register it as a separate entity. Huh? Unless you perceive this ultimately. All, that, all those things, those things that happen in the mind, this process of the mind happens so that you can identify things separately. So the, why did the mind come into being then? For the purpose of separation. You know, ultimately, that is what minding means. That is what is to mind. Mind. When you say mind, right? Now, I, <laughs> I have so much I want to say, but I only have a few words to say it in. I'm really struggling. I hope you. I hope, really hope you can. You can grasp the the essence of what I'm trying to say here. Okay, but that's why it's really important that you come on this journey with me. I, otherwise, in a few weeks' time, I'll just be saying, "Mind." Yeah, got it, right? Got it. Yeah, that's the problem, right? Cheerio. <laughs> that's all I'll have to say. But if you're coming on this journey with me, you're attending the sermons regularly. You know, you'll understand what I'm saying. Because every week I can't explain the same thing. You know, every week we make progress. <laughs> that's aside. Mind. When you say the word mind, you are focusing on something. Mind, mind it. Mind your step. Because the mind is the instrument to separate. It's like a knife is used to cut. A pair of scissors is used to cut. The pen is used to write. The eraser is used to erase. The mind is used to separate. It is for the purpose of separation, the mind came into being. The mind of an arahant, the mind of an arahant is free now, is free. The moment it becomes an arahant, it has realized. It is that realization itself that qualifies the mind to be referred to as an arahant mind or a Buddha mind. As we spoke of right at the beginning of the sermon. It is that, it is the realization that None of this is separable. But Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana still take place. It's a bit like magic. I gave you the example the other day. You and I, we can both see the same magic trick being performed. But if you know how that magic is being done, and I don't, now you, I experience something that you don't. Don't I? I go, wow. You go, meh. Don't you? Because you know it's just a trick. Yeah, you know, it's not magic. You know, it's just logic. And that is the, the mind of an arahant. Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana still takes place. He sees the pen. He recognizes the pen. But in his mind, he doesn't see this as a separate entity from everything else. Now, that is not to say that he doesn't see a pen as being, you know, a, a separate object in space. He sees it, but he knows something else. 
It's like when someone comes and says, you know, if, say someone's cheated on you and they don't know that you know. Okay? Someone's cheated on you, they don't know that you know, and they come and say, I love you. Huh? Now you hear one thing, but you know something else, right? Hmm? You know that this is just a fraud. You know that they're not being genuine. It's something like that. The Arhant sees a separate world. The Arhant hears. The, he can hear the same music that you and I can. He'll listen to a piece of music and go, that's rock music. That's classic. That's jazz. He'll say all that because he can identify it. But he knows it's all inseparable. It's something, it's, we are talking about a realization. It's not something that can be seen. It's not something that can be heard. It's not something that can be tasted or smelt or felt. It's only something that he knows. Madam, question? I'm not going to? Hmm. Almost. I'll, I'll fill in the blanks. Okay? Almost. Did you have a question, sir? All right. Let me put it this way. Right? One day, someone came up to me and said, Swaminansa, I realized that as I practice the Dhamma, you tell me that I don't need to let go of things, that you know, let the letting go happen. Yeah, it's, we've talked about this so many times, right? You don't have to let go, just let it happen. And, he, and, and, and the person said, I've realized that as I practice the Dhamma, learn the Dhamma, realize the Dhamma, I'm letting, I feel like I'm letting go of more things than I used to hang on to. So I listened patiently to what he had to say. And in the end I said, that's good. But my dear child, one day you will understand that you are not holding on to them to let go in the first place. Right now, it feels like you are holding on to these things. And so it feels like you have to let go of them. This is only an illusion. If it's merely an illusion, then are you holding on to it? No. So, do you have to let go of it? No. Now let's come to separation. It's the same. We discussed this question just briefly, I think, in a couple of sermons before. Separate what from what? What can't we separate from what? That question is a misnomer. It makes no sense to ask that question. So an arahant does not stop separating. At the moment of achieving the arahathood, it, it, it is not the moment where they realize, you know what, separation is meaningless. I'm going to stop separating. What they realize is, that never happened. Whether you're an arahant or a non-arahant, it never separated. All that happened was the illusion of separation. Magic. Okay, uh, one of the best examples I can, I can offer you, magic. 
When you understand a magic trick, what do you understand really? That it was never magic all along, right? Isn't that so? That's what you understand. Understanding a magic trick means you realize that it wasn't a magic trick all along. Your ignorance of magic is what? That it's magic. So when you understand magic, when you learn a magic trick, all you're learning is that this was not magic all along. It was a, it was a trick. So what, does, what happens to this mind when it achieves that state of arahathood is the mind realizes that separation was simply an illusion. It never separated. So, it, it, so, so you know, following on from that, what we, must, uh, what we now understand is that it's not for the arahant to now stop separating because they feel it's not pleasurable or that it's nothing, it's essenceless, so there's nothing to be gained out of it. Therefore, I'm no longer going to separate. No. What an arahant realizes is it never separated in the first place. The true nature. That is the Buddha nature. It, never, it was never separate. It was never separate in the first place. I never managed to separate anything. It was simply an illusion. This is, this is moha. This is this delusion. Right? Moha is a state of mind. When, you're in the, in, when the mind is in a state of moha, it sees all these illusions. So delusion leads to illusions. Delusion is a state of mind. Illusion is what you see. Or at least what you perceive. If perceive is what we can use as a word to express how the mind sees things, right? As opposed to the eye. So uh, perceive, right? So an illusion is what the mind perceives when it is deluded. So that is what happens. So right now you can see that the, all this was an in invention of a deluded mind, don't you think? This entire universe, this body, look at all the senses you have. You've got these senses so you can separate the world. You know, these are like cutting instruments to a chef. Uh, or when you sit at, the, at a restaurant, you know, they bring you the knives, right? Uh, however many pairs of them, they bring you the soup knife and this knife, the butter knife, that knife, the other knife. Now I can't remember which order they put them in. Right? <laughs> the only knife I have is the Dhamma knife now. Right? So, but there's, a, there's an order in which you place them, right? Yeah. From right outside to in and so on. So there are various knives to do various jobs. Now at, at home, you'll have the bread knife. You'll have the cleaver. Huh? Then you'll have the, the meat knife. You'll have the fish knife. You'll have the vegetable knife. You'll have the fruit knife and so on. When, when you see a chef with all these instruments, you know he's serious. He's serious. Uh, he's serious because he, he knows his tools. <laughs> He knows that to perform his job perfectly, or to, to, to perform his job perfectly, he's got the various tools and he knows how to use them. Good. Now, what about the mind? The mind is an excellent tool. It's the best tool there is to separate an inseparable world. Remember where we started with this lesson, ladies and gentlemen, where I showed you that video, right, of how people perceive one thing and the truth is something completely different. Right? I showed you several videos in one of the Singhala sermons. Right? 
the point I tried to prove there and get across to you was the mind is able to perceive things that are untrue. It's only the mind that can do that. <laughs> That's why ignorance is only present in a mind. This can never be ignorant. With this, you only get the truth, nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. With this, you get only the truth and nothing but the truth. When you see the stars, the skies, the moons, the planets, and every other object in this universe, you see the truth and nothing but the truth. So sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, this is the truth and nothing but the truth. They are not separate. They are simply manifestations of the same energy. So energy can manifest itself in various forms. Right now you have light energy. Previously that was what energy? Electric energy. Previous to that it was kinetic energy coming from a wind turbine somewhere, perhaps. Prior to that it was potential energy that the wind carried with it. Or maybe potential energy in water as it flowed down and converted to kinetic energy and that into the turbines and that into the electrical energy. Now it is the light energy. This is the sound energy. See, it's all manifestations of the same energy. In the same way, everything you see around you are simply manifestations of the same stuff. This this object does not identify itself as a separate entity to this, this object. They have no intention to be seen or identified as separate things. That's why you need a mind to do that. Because the mind minds. <laughs> the mind is the instrument. The only instrument that is capable of being ignorant. It is the only source of energy that is capable of being ignorant. No other source of energy, no other form of energy can be ignorant. What is ignorance? Not knowing the truth. There's the truth and there's everything but the truth. How many versions of falsehood are there? Hmm? An infinite number. That's why I can tell you that this is a pen. Or I can tell you this is not an eraser, this is not a flower, this is not a coconut, this is not a mango, this is not a giraffe, this is not a donkey, this is not a monkey. I can keep going on and on and on and on because this is so many, there are so many things that this is not. Right? So therefore, ignorance can come in a multitude of ways. But the truth can only be one. There's only one truth and one version of the truth. The mind, for all its sins, and quite literally, for all its sins, is capable of being ignorant. That is the only energy that is capable of ignorance. No other sense, no other form of energy is capable of ignorance. Rupa is not capable of ignorance. The mind is. And what happens? This ignorance is that the world is separable. And therefore, to experience this separate world, look what it brought along with it. Look at the package that it brought along with it. Hmm? Look at the knives that it brought along with it so it could cut and chop and slice and separate this world. Hmm? You got a few of them on your face. All of these instruments to separate this world so that the mind can continue to experience that separation. A separation that only the mind thinks exists. Yes. 
That is why when the mind finally realizes that it's all inseparable, it doesn't come back again. It doesn't come back again. It doesn't come back again to separate. It is. That is what we call the mind energy. So the mind, you may remember, sir, on one occasion I said, this will one day be the sankara in that mind. <laughs> this will one day be the Vedana in that mind because this is all energy. Yeah, ultimately, it's all the pure energy. Right? All our manifestations. What we need to understand here is the mind is ailed. It's ill. Because of ignorance. Ignorance is the ailment. Yes. And, and that ignorance can only be found in the mind. That is the only energy that can be soiled, that can be defiled, the only energy that can be defiled, the mind. You know, ignorance, there's no problem with ignorance per se. Who cares that there's suffering in this world? Who cares that there's suffering in this world? Do you think this cares? Only the mind itself, right? So there's no problem per se with ignorance. But if a mind takes issue to suffering, because it's not pleasant, suffering is unpleasant, there's no question about that. But there is a place for suffering in this world. This world wouldn't exist without suffering. Suffering will always be there in this world. No matter how many Buddhas we see, suffering will always be there in this world because this world is based in suffering. Dukkho loke patitita. This world only exists for as long as suffering exists. And for as long as this world exists, suffering will continue to exist. They feed each other. You need to understand why I say this. What is the, what is the thought process here that, that allows me to express these, these, these sentiments? That is, this world is a creation of a mind that that wanted separation, in other words, that suffered. Because when the, ex when the vexation for separation kicks in, now that vexation can only be relieved by the perception of separation. Not by separation. Please never answer that question that way. Yeah? Not by separation. But by the perception of separation. Because perception of separation is the next best thing to separation. Yes, but when, when, the, when, when jati happens, jati dhamma happens. Yes, second floor is jati dhamma. Yes, right? So the jati dhamma allows, allows to experience all these things that we see around us and see them as very separate entities. And therefore they give us pleasure. Yes, that, that's why, you know, this is a, it reinforces each other. Which is what I meant previously by, you know, just being able to see that. To the ignorant mind, it reaffirms that separation is possible. And when separation is possible, it continues to separate. In that process, it creates this. So the mind creates food for itself. It's a self-efficient mechanism. It's a self-sufficient mechanism. The mind will continue to prevail 
for as long as ignorance prevails. Because the mind's purpose in the presence of ignorance is separation. And what it does is it keeps on separating so that for the next thought to rise, to arise, there are separate things. That's why the only path to liberation is to realize and to come out of ignorance. There is no other way. Samaditi is the only door that exists out of this labyrinth of sansar, out of this maze of sansar, out of this mist of sansar. The only door that exists is samaditi. The realization that this separation is all but an illusion. Once the mind realizes that, now the mind, as if by habit, simply continues to perform what it came into this world for until there's enough energy to keep it going. But it knows, this is a knowledge, that's what I'm saying, right? That's why I've, I've tried to give you several examples to help you distinguish between what you see and what you perceive. Right? If someone can come and say, I love you, but you know they're not saying the truth. Magic, best analogy I can give you. Time and time again, I keep bringing this up because it's the best thing I can offer you. You see magic, you know magic, two different things. You know, even, a, even the world's best magician can look at himself in the mirror. That's how they practice. You, look, you see, Imagine that, a magician looking at himself in the mirror. Huh? Very different dimensions going on. Agreed? What the eye sees is very different to what the mind perceives. The same individual, right? Same individual. A magician in front of a mirror, performing his tricks, watching himself learn, or watching himself as he, as he does it, and, he, and as he practices. That is the difference here. The mind will continue to see a separate world. That's how an arahant knows how to not knock his foot on, on a rock as he walks and goes on Pindapatha. That's how he knows his robes from the other person's robes. That's how he knows that today is a sunny day and today is a rainy day. This, this is all stuff that he knows. But deep down inside, his perception is pure now. It realizes the truth. It has achieved that realization. The truth that is, this is all inseparable. So like a good magician who understands his tricks and he sees himself in the mirror performing those tricks, the Arahant continues to work and operate in his day-to-day -day business. Just, he just goes about doing everything as he did prior to becoming an Arahant. But only this time he knows. He knows something that he didn't before becoming an Arahant. Or at least before becoming a Sotapanna. From the, from the point of becoming a Sotapanna to achieving that Arahathood, what he does is he continues the practice. He continues to practice what he has seen, what he has realized for the first time. Now he begins to see the world. He begins to perceive the world with a fresh pair of eyes. Because he understands that although these things look separate, they are not separate. But they'll continue to look separate until Paranibbana. They'll, look, they'll continue to look separate, but they're not separate. That he continues to practice. He realizes that although I, you know, a Sota, sota Panna, will feel a sense of identity. Otherwise, how would Vizaka go on and, to, and to have, you know, children? What she wanted in a child was a separate child, didn't she? Right? She, was, she had one child, not enough. Two children, not enough. Three children, not enough. Some sources say she had up to 20. Some say even more. It's not the number that we need to concern ourselves with, but the fact that, you know, as a Sotapanna, who had realized 
the four noble truths who had seen dukkha now, that is the four noble truths right in the namachakka pavatana sutta the wheel turning sutta the buddha speaks of this idan dukkham pubbe ananusute su dhammesu chakkum udapadi this is the first noble truth i have seen the dukkha i have seen the cause of dukkha i have seen the eradication of dukkha and the path to eradication of dukkha what is this dukkha this sense of self that is what he that he what that is what he realized as the four noble truths and that is what he preached as the four noble truths so for someone to attain the state of sotapanna one must realize the four noble truths because that is the that is the gift of buddhism the four noble truths <laughs> where did we start all this today with the sermon what is buddhism after all the truth and nothing but the truth science scientists will teach you the truth about this pen okay they'll teach you the truth about this eraser they'll teach you the truth about this they'll teach you the truth about all these things they see around you what they cannot teach you is the truth about why you feel you are a separate individual to other people that they can't teach you because that they don't see as a problem they'll teach you in psychology about a self you know about your perception of the self but they'll never teach you that that is suffering will they why would they they'll teach you how to how to handle situations they'll teach you how to you know how to walk away when you see that there's a problem escalating they'll teach you that they'll teach you how to manage your emotions but they can't teach you that what you experience as a self is a manifestation of suffering in itself that they can't teach you because they don't know that that is suffering if they did then they would be buddha shravakas if they realize it themselves then they would be samma sambuddhas or pachaka buddhas that is that, that is what makes one an aryan understanding how this works makes you a scientist understanding how the world works how it rotates on its axis makes you a, a geographist geographist is that a word hmm it is i just invented but you know what i mean right uh, understanding how here how how animals behave and how plants work and all that you know that makes you a biologist understanding how chemicals interact with each other how reactions in the presence and absence of catalysts and so on that makes you a chemist right understanding that this feeling that you have this sense of identity that you have that you are separate from everyone else that it is only an illusion it is simply the product of suffering that is the very suffering that you need to get rid of and in doing so you will be free from the 11 great fires which are the byproducts of that that is what makes you an aryan that is what makes you an aryan because in seeing that you have seen the truth that the buddhas come into this world to show us einstein might have come into this world to show us the truth about reality relativity right neil bohr would have come into this world to teach us about the truth about atoms and and so on various people come into this world to teach us about various truths truths that they can perceive that they can grasp and it is within their intellectual capacity to to understand but a buddha comes into this world to teach us a special kind of truth 
that truth is this sense of identity that you experience this is an illusion it is not true once you understand that you realize if this is an illusion well what's the problem like the bottle at the back of the room i keep on keep going on about this what is the problem therefore the problem therefore is because of that all the other problems crop up you can't watch your son being beaten up can you as a mother you can't you can't watch your husband betraying on you can you as a wife you can't see your daughter running away eloping with another man can you you can't because you're a mother and she's your daughter you have a sense of identity i am so and so and i am the mother this is the daughter understanding of the dhamma doesn't mean that you will not intervene and try and do what is right by that child because you still have a duty to do but it won't ruffle those feathers inside it won't irritate you it won't annoy you it won't cause you distress it won't vex you it won't steal your night's sleep inside cool as a cucumber and calm as a calm ocean but on the outside busy 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 going about doing lots of things in social service you know so service to humanity preaching to the devas preaching to the dhammas dhammas preaching to the brahmas huh busy 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 doing lots of things but inside whatever will be will be kesara sara it is that freedom that we try to achieve by understanding the truth that this great man taught us that is the truth that is the truth that we need to aspire to realization of the truth so anything you do everything you do make every step you take count towards that time is of the essence right every every sermon i try and you know put in a sprinkle a bit of this in because it's it is i need to remind you that time is of the essence because you know things will just carry on life carries on gosh life carries on things will happen right but remember we are all against the clock now you are so fortunate to have come across this this truth these teachings now the only thing that stands between you and your salvation is your practice and to practice you need time therefore time is of the essence time is is very 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 important tell me your time is now how many times more valuable than your time when you were the top business executive of this country when you were the best entrepreneur hmm of this of of this of the of the whole universe right your time was valuable then wasn't it what about now because back then they paid you for your time didn't they you could have demanded i $50,000 for one hour of my time and someone would have been willing to pay that a million dollars for a day and someone would have been prepared to pay that but now you can't say how much your time is valuable that is why it is priceless now the time now your time is priceless so be very 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 careful about how you spend your time because now 
your time should be dedicated should be dedicated to realizing the truth realizing the truth applying the truth and internalizing the truth so that you can free yourself with that i will conclude for today because i need to send you off for the buddha puja in time it's great good to hear that you have all uh, come together and uh, uh, that's what i've heard i don't know the ins and outs of it that you're all getting together to uh, contribute and do the buddha puja today wonderful i i love it when i hear things like that i'm always so fond of you guys because you all you know you you are like a, a big family you always work together you do things together and you know you help each other on this path those are those are very important things because that kalyanamitra association is so crucial on our path to nibbana why do you think i'm here it is for that association of kalyanamitra so even when you come here you know one day let's say this 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 whole monastery we have to close down you know never say never right one day that happens and all you have is yourselves for each other let's say a meteor crashes on this on this side right everyone from guru hamdru to the last hamdru and all the anagarika mahatya has gone right poof dust huh? then all you have is yourselves to look after each other have that among yourselves use it wisely it is not you know so that you can uh, you know hold hand in hand and you know go walk on the beach <laughs> that's not what this is for right have that unity among yourselves have that closeness among yourselves and that uh that that uh, uh what do you call lenga to come anyone will come to me later have that lenga to come among yourselves <laughs> huh among yourselves so that it will always be there as a support on your path to nibbana big banza um hmm caring homework homework okay homework right let's do the transfer of merits and conclude the sermon there okay let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem chanting prit listening to the dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today First and foremost let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study understand and comprehend the dhamma let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the mahasangha present throughout the world including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine let us transfer these merits to guru swami nwanse as well as all the other teachers and monks resident at this monastery as well as the anagarikas and anagarikas attached to the monastery let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the buddha be there by transliterating these sermons sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them and may through the power of these merits if any of them have been born in the woeful plane they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane may through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds fulfill the meritorious deeds 
fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these maids, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us take a moment to transfer maids to the devas, brahmas, spirits, and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambuddhasasana. Let us also transfer maids to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us transfer these merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics including the most recent and prevailing ones, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer our merits to them. May through the power of these merits, they, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the mates we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahat in Mohanse, an arahat heran in Mohanse, in this life itself, and in the era of the Gautam Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Nibbana parana sukhayan sukita taravetma Mamada siyalu loka siyalu satnayo Nibbana parana sukhayan sukita taravetma Nibbana parana sukhayan Sukita Tara Vetma 
nibbana parama sukhayan sukita taratma raga gini niveva desha gini niveva moha gini niveva ாகுணபலின் சிலு சாத்தியம் நிபான பரமசுக்கின் சுகித்தர வைத்தார் சாது சாது சாது